Welcome to the Sum of It All Mathematizing Literature Podcast. I'm Audrey Medeville, along with my colleague, Mark Alcorn from the San Diego County Office of Education. And we're excited to continue reading and learning with you today. Today, we're wrapping up season six, where we're exploring the book, Mathematizing Children's Literature, Sparking Connections, Joy and Wonder Through Read-Alouds and Discussion by Allison Hintz and Anthony T. Smith. Transcripts to our podcast are always available for you in the episode notes on your favorite platform. And for our final episode this season, we are welcoming back once again, Sharissa Beck to the conversation today. We are so grateful for her voice and expertise in so many of the episodes this season as we thought through integration of math and literacy. So welcome back, Sharissa. Thank you. Well, as, as we kick off our conversation today about this particular chapter, you know, as I saw the chapter, I don't know about YouTube, but I saw the chapter coming. I'm like, wow, this is a shorter chapter. And I said to myself, we might have a shorter episode. Well, that was before I started reading the chapter. <laughs> and I was so wrong about that. So many wonderful things to discuss in chapter eight with family and community connections. I actually don't know how we're going to pack it into this episode, but let's, <laughs> let's give it a try. Okay. Let's try. Let's try. Uh, let's do it. Um, well, and, and, you know, here's the other thing is I said to myself, we always start with a quote, but you know what? I'm going to start with a quote again, because it is that amazing. Um, we have a quote from Reka Coover. She's a public library youth and family services manager. And here's the quote. I always want to move away from learning as a series of transactional experiences and toward learning as a way to elevate the agency of children, families, and communities. When a learning community comes together in mutual power, curiosity can then be free. There are so many parts of this quote that are just worth unpacking. I'm just gonna grab a couple. Um, the quote starts off by talking about moving away from learning as a series of transactional experiences. And that's just so resonated with me that, you know, it's kind of like everybody just stay in their lane. Parents, give us your kids. We'll take care of everything else. And, and just it being transactional and, and how kind of almost cold that is. And so that resonated with me. And then there's just this idea of mutual power. Instead of the transactional thing, let's have mutual power. Well, to do that, we need to make sure that we let go of power and we empower our families and communities. Um, what about you, Sharissa? What about that quote for you? Oh my gosh, it was poetic. Absolutely loved it. And what really struck me is that that part says learning as a way to elevate the agency, not, not just build, elevate the agency of children and communities. So what an awesome way to think about learning and, and the whole purpose of education. Just love it. Yeah, you know, and we've talked about this in previous episodes that sometimes the school positions themselves as like the sole conduit of supplying knowledge to children. Uh -huh. And we don't even really respect the fact that our children are learning once they exit the school campus. There's still lots of learning that happens all outside of school, in communities, within uh, home cultures. And I just love how this chapter kicks off with the notion of like building connections between the formal and the informal learning settings of child's life. And the question that they have here, which I think is a wonderful way to kick things off is, what if stories were centered in those connections? Yeah, I really appreciate that, Mark. You know, one of the things I've been really thinking about is about how informal and formal educational settings kind of interact with each other. And 
you know, the idea that you have an extreme on either side of it, right? You have the, you're in the classroom and you are all in a formal setting and you're out and about in life, but there's like all these other spaces where it's not in like an on off switch where like the two spaces are kind of interacting with each other. Um, and so I think it's really interesting for us to kind of explore and think about all the other folks who are involved in children's education that are not their classroom teacher and all the other folks who help um, convey stories or tell stories or communicate things that our students are then learning from and about. And especially with this idea of mathematizing um, literature and mathematizing stories, like how that might go in and about many, many spaces throughout our community if we thought about how to, how to leverage that. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I know in another part, they mentioned this network of educators, like just thinking about all these adults that children come in contact with that collectively can, can play a part. I just think that's, that's so beautiful. Um, you know, there's a section called the power of familiarity. And um, again, that kind of, uh, you know, leads to that whole thing. Like what, what's, what's, what are the familiar connections within a, a child's life that can be leveraged and there's just this beautiful story of Allison one of the authors her her daughter um, was going to get to go preview her future school and what was so cool about that interaction is uh, the school engaged in a which one doesn't belong activity which was something she was familiar with from her prior school and uh, I, I thought about my children and how cool it would have been as they entered the next school if they could actually have this experience that allowed them to connect to something familiar. And I think there's, there's just something really important about that. And, and I appreciate the authors bringing that out. Yeah, there's so much in that story that she shared, even just about her daughter's body language, how she sat mm. up and sat forward. Like she knew what was expected of her in that moment, right? And mm -hmm. routines are powerful for that reason that they bridge across gaps and or grade levels and situations that students can recognize like, I know what's expected of me. I know how to respond to this. And it takes a load off of their brain in order to be able to then engage in the thinking of the moment instead of how am I supposed to respond? What's expected of me? What are like, what is, what is my prompt back to the teacher supposed to sound like, right? All of those things they know they're familiar with. And mm -hmm. I think it also really, um, validates that they've that they know something that they're right. coming in prepared right and so a lot right. of anxiety that might be in that moment of like well i know what to say um well i have the right words all of that is um can be removed when we when we really leverage the, the routines that our students might be able to use yeah yeah such such a smart move on that school's part i just i just really thought that was really a smart uh, idea um, you know, as, as, as we look in this next section, how we might partner with families to learn together, um, what did you notice in that section, Audrey? Well, one of the things I noticed right off the bat is the storytelling um, piece. And I love storytelling. Actually, um, I love listening to stories. I love hearing stories. And I know that so much of the work um, that we've talked about is about storytelling. And, you know, I'm in this chapter, I was I was brought to mind um, one of my teaching experiences. I moved from one school to another school as part of my career, and they moved into a block schedule, which meant all of a sudden I went from teaching 50 minute periods, which was what I was used to in my career, to now having twice a week, these like two hour class periods. And I had no idea what to do with kids for two hours. They didn't train me on what to do with kids for two hours. <laughs> and so I was like, I guess you just put two of those 50 minute things together and then you have a little break in the middle. Um, but I knew enough to know you weren't supposed to let the kids loose on the campus for that middle of the class period. So I decided... <laughs> 
I would tell stories. Um, ah. And the stories I often told were from my own life and my own experience or from huh. my backgrounds or whatever. And I never thought like too much about it. Like I was doing it as a means of like engaging students, resetting them, offering a break from the mathematics or whatever. Um, but year after year, kids would come in on those back to school nights and introduce their parents to me and say, this is the storyteller. Like this is the teacher who tells stories. And I'm reflecting now like two things. One is how powerful those stories were in building connections with students and then allowing them to feel comfortable telling stories about their lives to me. Um, but two, what could have been amazing if I knew that I could mathematize stories? Like I am like sitting here like, oh my gosh, what if I had known that you could do that with stories? Um, that would have been amazing. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate you, you bringing out that idea of the, the oral stories and how that could be part of things. Um, I, think, I think, and I think we mentioned this a few episodes ago and, and here it is in, in, in a future chapter, right? Um, just being a place to, to leverage community and home connection. And um, I just, the authors just did a nice job of sort of like making me dream about how wonderful that could be with a, with a, a student bringing this story that's, that's, that's part of something really important in their lives into the space of the classroom. And, um, you know, I, it makes me think back to some of the, the get to know you stuff that I did with students. That was okay. I mean, I'm not going to beat myself up too badly about it. It was okay. But like, I'm thinking of this and imagining this and I'm thinking, wow, how powerful that could have been. This isn't just like a, you know, a little get to know you activity. This is like a really like get to know you as a person and who you are and who you belong to. And it just sounds yeah. so exciting. And the stories that matter to you. I'm, I'm with you, Mark. I 100% agree. Like that, I think there's really a lot of possibility here to, to rethink that. And in doing so, really thinking about the relationship that we're establishing between families and the school. And I think for a lot of us, we think of those as one-way relationships. Like schools are going to tell families what it is you need to do at home so that your child's prepared to come back to school, right? Versus saying, how is it I learn from families about what I should be doing in school? Like, mm. what should I be doing with your students to help them learn? How can I leverage the stories you, you tell and the, um, and the ways you do things, right? And so I appreciate this section of the chapter really talking about positioning families as knowing contributors. And maybe there's even more than that. Maybe contributors should be changed to collaborators. Like if we mm. really think about how mm -hmm. we honor what families um, who they are and what they know and what they do in all the hours outside of school, that that might really change what our students' experiences. So I'm, I'm curious about exploring that more. But speaking of which, the next section of the chapter talks about mathematizing um, ideas and how you share the tools that you might develop with families. So Mark and Teresa, I'm curious about what you thought about kind of that idea of sharing the tools. Yeah, well, I, one of the tools, if you will, on page 185 is just this wonderful letter um, that a teacher might send to uh, families and caregivers about what they're up to in the classroom with stories and so forth, and kind of inviting parents to participate. I, I think that oftentimes, again, with the sort of power structure we have with schools and families, it's, it's kind of like, uh, we got this, don't, don't worry about it, just send your kids to school and we'll let you know if there's any problems. But this is a real invitation of like, here's what we're doing with stories. Here's how you can do the same thing with stories at home. Here's a bookmark with some questions that can help you support this. I just love the idea of 
treating our families really almost as equals, like we're gonna do this, but, but we invite you to do the same thing, um, rather than sort of like giving them the idea like, we're, we're more in charge of this. And so we'll, we'll do it just, you know, you just, just make sure you send your student to school. So I just, I, I like this added benefit to the student, but you know, as far as them doing it out of home with their parents. But I also wonder if this could also shift some parent beliefs about what mathematics is as they start to mathematize literature at home. Uh, Shreesa, what were some of your thoughts about these tools? Oh my gosh, well, when I read this section, so earlier, Audrey, you said, yeah, I was using stories and you think, well, if I only knew then what I know now um, <laughs> about math, you know, how you could mathematize those stories, this isn't how I felt. Because in my experience, and I've done a lot of literacy nights, but typically we would schedule a math night and a literacy night with separate events on separate nights. Or you might have one family night, but two separate topics, maybe parents rotate for a bit into a math center, a math focus center, then to a literacy focus center. So I love this idea, and I wish I would have known then, this idea of bringing math and literacy together and taking families through that experience of mathematizing children's literature. So it's something they can bring into their own lives. And you guys are making me think, yes, we can use stories they read, but also use their own family stories because every, every family has their own stories. And Mark, you were just making me think, if, if children are, they are used to this experience, how can we bring them and have them be part of the, um, the process of getting their students engaged and getting their parents engaged in this mathematizing story? Ooh, so I, lots I to that. think about. Yeah, yeah I, I love, that, love that. I really do. And empowering the student. Um, so the next section of this chapter talked about children's librarians and they give this brief story of like, have you ever seen a librarian or met a librarian who's like, I've got just the book for you. And I can tell you that has happened to me. It's happened to my children, like librarians, especially children's librarians, when you can share like, here are some of the books I've liked and here's some things I, and they're like, I have got it. You've got to read this. And they hand you something that you never would have picked off the shelf. You have no idea how they remembered the author's name or <laughs> the book title. And then you read it and you're like, oh yeah, this is exactly what I needed. Have you guys had that experience? Absolutely. <laughs> I have, uh, unfortunately not recently, but you reminded me I need to go find a librarian and, and get up to speed because the analytics of Amazon and everything else is not really <laughs> serving me well. And I need to get back to talking to, to a person. So uh, yes. good, good reminder, Audrey. And, um, you know, and as I read this section, um, you know, my thoughts were going to, we have a colleague, his name is Jonathan Hunt, and he's such a champion for librarians and school mm -hmm. libraries. Um, and I just, I was just, you know, right when I started reading the section, I'm just picturing Jonathan, right? And I'm just looking forward to connecting with him, like about sort of like how the learning we're doing in this book around leveraging mathematizing literature and like how this could be a possibility that could be something that once school librarians get it on their radar and get this, this idea, I'm wondering, gosh, he's in touch with so many librarians. I just wonder the possibilities. I think that's a great point. And he is definitely one of those people who has done this to me before where he's like, oh, you like this and this and this? Have you tried this? And it's, I'm, I don't know how he has time to read all the books. Um, I know, and, and I know, it, like, the same thing. <laughs> and I honestly can't understand how he can keep track of different authors' names and titles and just rattle right. them off, but he does. But something he shared with me recently is just the really, there's, they're kind of staggering statistics that like fewer than 10% of our schools in California have a librarian in their school library. Like they have a school library, 
Right. But they don't have a school librarian. And when you think about that, like staffing them with other folks and having volunteers come in, like having the library open is, is one point of like solving the problem of making sure students have books. But when students don't have access to that person who's going to say, I've got just the book for you, right? Right. That is a huge problem. And when we talk about who has access to that person, it becomes a huge equity problem. Right. And so I'm, uh-huh. I'm really thinking about this deeply as I read this final chapter of the book. And Jonathan always reminds me that, that you know, there's a finite amount of money in school budgets and people are going to say all of these things matter to kids and to their futures. Um, but I'm reminded in this chapter how important school librarians are. And so to that end, if you're thinking about that and you're realizing in your own context, that's important. There are some associations who do work on advocacy towards that end. Um, if your local level is not the place to start, there's the California School Library Association and the American Association of School Libraries. And we'll put links in our show notes for you if in case you're interested in reaching out and thinking about next steps there. It happens, like change happens when we stand up and we say, we need this for our students. And mm-hmm. I have got to tell you after reading this book, I am back on you know, the ground running towards making sure my, my kiddos have school librarians at their schools. That's, that's a great note, Audrey. Uh, well said, well said. Uh, as we get to the last section in this, uh, this chapter and, and this book, um, you know, something jumped out at me right, right away with this heading. It says, how can we partner with childcare, preschool, and pre-kindergarten providers? Uh, and I've had the privilege uh, here at the county office to be working with the universal pre-K uh, rollout in California. And this section really resonated with me regarding, like, how do we really think about coherence from preschool to third grade? And you know, I've been doing this work for a little while and thinking about that. And this book just came just right in time because of like, wow, stories are a way to further this coherence. And so uh, I just think it's a really a great way to think about a bridge uh, along, along different grade levels. Uh, Audrey, do you have any other connections around how we could sort of leverage different grade spans? Well, I don't think it just stops from preschool to TK or kindergarten, I think that you could do this with any grade level. Like I'm just imagining from middle school to high school, there's sometimes a disconnect and thinking about how you might have the same conversations they were talking about in the book between um, thinking about that with preschool to uh, elementary school as you would from middle school to high school. But I also think within schools, we don't often at the secondary level talk between grade spans. So like that vertical, ta- that vertical discussion um, between the ninth grade teacher and the 10th grade teacher and thinking about Like, what is it that you are reading and studying in your history, social science class and in your um, English language arts class that I might leverage as stories and situations now that you're familiar with and that we can mathematize in my math class in 10th grade? Like, I think there's all kinds of opportunity for that um, based on what you what we've read here and what you are talking about with um, preschool as well. Yeah, makes sense. So we're getting super close to the end of this episode. Mark, you're right. We are not at a loss for words um, on this chapter. Um, way, to, way to give us that on the beginning. Um, I'm curious, though, what you're walking away with. So, Mark, maybe we can start with you. Yeah, I, yeah I, I'd be happy to consider this, this whole book here. And, and I think the thing that I'm walking away with uh, as my really big takeaway is just the value and um, the importance of providing the opportunity for these notice and wonder reads and just 
allowing that mathematics to be part of it. Um, the Jabari Jumps book just, just has really made a big impression on me and how that book was not intended to be around mathematics and how the discussion was just so rich. And just seeing how these conversations can be opened up and allow students to realize that they can mathematize literature, which to me, the real important uh, value I've gotten from this book around that is that that can lead them to better mathematize their world. So in other words, if, they, if they're in this context in a story, they can start thinking about the contexts that are around them. And so the way I would say it, let's, let's have kids run to context rather than run away from context like they might with those dreadful story problems. Yeah, I love that. You know, I've seen it in my own children since starting this um, season that, you know, just a couple nights ago, my daughter was reading a book and it is not a mathy book by means of our author's definition. It was definitely one that could, you could mathematize, right? And so she just all of a sudden, she's getting ready for bed and she's looking at, she's like, there are not 20 mattresses on the front of this book. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, nowhere does it say, are there 20 mattresses? Like, this is the story of the princess and the pea. Like, she's just come up with this information. She's like, there are only 16 and here's how I know. And like, she's totally into telling me this. And I'm like, blown away that like, we're having a very wonderful math conversation that all started because she was checking out the illustration in the book, right? And it just goes back to all of the things we've read in this in this book of how natural it can become to our, for our children to see math in their world and in the texts in front of them and how valuable that is for them to see the beauty of both of them at the same time. So I appreciate that. Yeah, so Audrey shared that story with me. And when I was reading this part on page 187, I immediately thought about story, Audrey. Um, so on page 187, it says, practicing thinking like a mathematician with the story opens up opportunities to think like a mathematician in our everyday lives. It goes on to say, it helps us use mathematics to make sense of our world. And thinking as a mathematician becomes a way of being, and this enriches our lives. So that's so true. So it's it, what I'm really taking, what's really resonating resonating with me from this this book is that this mathematical thinking isn't something you do at a time of the day when it says on the schedule on the wall that it's math time it's you take it out into the world and there's such a strong connection there to reading too you know, for example we always notice a new structure and organization to help us understand our reading but you just don't do that in reading you do that out in the world you you look for and notice organization and structure to help us understand our world um, same thing we do with 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 characters, um, you know, when we talk about the story part of our stories, we're not doing the mathematizing part. Um, we wonder why characters are feeling a certain way or, or why are they acting a certain way? We do that in our everyday life. So what really stuck with me from, from this book is the learning we do, whether it's math, whether it's with reading, but it doesn't just live there in that time in the schedule. It comes alive in our world and it helps us be better thinkers and make better sense of the world around us. Oh, I really appreciate that, Sharissa, so much. And I'm so glad that you joined us for this season. Me too. Uh, having you along has been such an added benefit um, to me learning about this book and um, thinking about mathematizing literature. So thanks for coming along for the ride. Thanks for the invite. Thanks for joining us for this episode. We'll be back next week with a new read. Stay tuned for more information. Until then, send us a tweet with the hashtag SomeMathChat. That's hashtag S-U-M-M-A-T-H-C-H-A-T with your questions and thoughts. We'll keep the conversation going there. Until then, 
best wishes on sparking connections, joy, and wonder. Thank you.